Hello, lovelies. Welcome to another podcast episode of the ADHD Energy Empress, where I talk all about how to manage and master your energy as someone with ADHD, because I find that ADHD is not just about attention deficit or attention regulation, but it's about all forms of energy. Today, I'm going to talk about ADHD and relationships. And that could mean any kind of relationships. We have lots of relationships in our lives, relationships with our friends, relationships with our kids, relationships with um, acquaintances, and obviously relationships with partners and romantic relationships. The thing about relationships is that Everyone is individual and unique and comes with a whole set of perspectives, ideas, opinions, emotions, thoughts, past experiences, past traumas, triggers, and all the things that make up an entire person. And of course, behavior, behaviors as well, behavioral responses. And then when you bring two people together, you go from just being yourself and having all those things to having a dynamic that intertwines with a whole other person's set of all those things that I just mentioned. And they start to go into this dance together where there's a certain interplay of different things. And we see that in the way that we might have different communication styles. We might have certain behaviors that trigger other people's triggers Some people we might easily get along with well and other people we might just clash in certain ways. Now, ADHD obviously comes with a whole set of behaviors, of thoughts, of ways of being. So naturally, that's going to affect that dynamic and affect that relationship. For example, me and my children, there's a lot of ADHD going on in this household and that affects how we feel about each other. It affects how we behave towards each other. It affects how we communicate and affects how we are triggered. So for some of us, we need quiet time and we find certain things too stimulating and too overwhelming but then we have one of my daughters moves a lot talks a lot is extroverted so it's important for my other daughter who's more introverted and needs that quiet time to have her own space but then she likes to be around people she doesn't like to go and have a time away from the main living areas so of course this is a really complex and nuanced topic. But when we are navigating ADHD, it's about finding those little shifts and strategies and hacks that help us in all areas of our life. So with my energy empress method, we have the five pillars of environment, body, mind, emotions, and spirituality. And it's all about finding those shifts and those hacks to navigate any situation and prevent things from happening, deal with them when they do happen and also overcome things a lot quicker. Raising kids with ADHD can feel like there are constantly 
challenges and problems popping up that need to be addressed. And when you can quickly find a strategy that works, then you can help to overcome that and just overall live a life that is calmer and more balanced, more fulfilling and leaves more energy for fun and creating good times and good memories together. I feel that a really big part of that is to notice triggers and to find those solutions that work for that particular trigger. So I'm obviously not going to go over every single problem that can happen in ADHD relationships in this episode, but other episodes will dive deeper into more nuanced sort of topics on that. The main thing I'm saying right now is that by managing and mastering your own emotions and noticing those triggers, you can learn to implement those strategies that then avoid you being triggered and mean that you can have a calmer relationship, a nicer relationship, a more nourishing relationship. So anytime there are problems that pop up, It's really helpful and important to have a mindset that's focused on problem solving rather than focusing on the problem. And that might mean being somewhat optimistic, but just at least asking the right questions. What is causing this? What could we change and shift? What possible solutions are there to overcome this and getting really creative about it? And it can be really helpful to be part of a community of ADHDers or whatever relationship dynamic you're looking into. If you're an ADHD parent, finding a community of ADHD parents and seeing what other people have come up with or having a bit of a research on the internet. And and as I say, we'll go into that more on other podcast episodes as well. And I do share little hacks and tips on my TikTok as well, which is at marley.darling. When it comes to friendships with ADHD, um, ADHDers tend to find other ADHDers or just neurodiverse people in general tend to run in packs. And that's just a natural thing that happens because we understand each other. We're on a similar wavelength. We have similar dynamics. And when you are around other neurodiverse people, there's less of a need to mask And it can be really fun. I have friends who we get into conversations and we kind of might be talking really quickly and interrupting each other, but our brains can at least handle those interruptions and these circular thought patterns. Or for example, if someone tells me a story and they have to go on five different tangents to get to the main point, I love that. I'm here for it. They, they explain that before it happens. And I say, look, my brain is designed to do that. It's designed for this divergent thinking where I get all the different information and then it, it culminates and comes back together in the end. I can definitely do it. I'm here for it. And I actually love it being non-linear because it keeps me more engaged. So having friends that understand that and can handle it and know that it's not a sign of disrespect. And actually, I can't remember which culture it was in, but in one culture, at least interrupting a conversation is seen as a sign of engagement and enthusiasm for the conversation topic, because you just can't wait to express yourself and you just have to say it. 
Obviously, if it's disruptive to be talking in this way, then you can try and hold your tongue. You can write down a little note for yourself about what you want to say when the other person is finished. When it's with children, um, we can take a lesson from Bluey, which apparently initially came from um, Steiner schooling according to one person on the internet, which is if the child wants to talk, they put their hand on your arm and you put your hand on their hand so you know that they want to talk. For my own children, usually if I'm in a conversation with someone and my child wants to talk, I will pause my conversation and listen to my child because I don't know how long I will be needing to continue my conversation and I remember what it was like as a child and also as an adult when you have something to say and you're desperately trying to hold onto it in your brain and you're worried that you'll forget. There's a lot of stress and anxiety around that and it's just not nice and it's really important for children to feel heard and respected and to be responsive to our children. So there's a bit of a balance there to teach them, look, hey, have some respect. But if I see that they need to talk, then I will pause and talk to them. So you could teach them to use the hand on the arm and try and be really responsive to them if you're going to be finished within the space of a minute, like 60 seconds, not like five minutes, an actual minute, then maybe finish what you're saying. But as an adult, even with ADHD, depends how you're going, You might have more capacity to remember this conversation you're having or at least the other person you're having the conversation with will perhaps remember because you've got two of you to remember this. More capacity than your child who's there just holding onto a thought in their brain, especially if they have ADHD, but even just if they are a child. So that's just a little side note to that there. Obviously, having ADHD will impact friendships I know that um, I can have a tendency to run my mouth and talk a whole lot and bombard my friends with ideas. I've learned to notice when they are zoning out, especially if my ADHD, if my friends are ADHD too and they're inattentive. If they're not listening anymore, well, do I need to vent and offload something? Is that the point? Or do I actually want them to hear and can I be more concise in what I'm saying or at least sum it up at the end? Just learning to notice those visual cues cues from other people or letting them know, telling them what your experience with ADHD is like. And I, I let people know, look, if I've interrupted you, it's not because I'm being rude, it's because I was impulsive. And if I'm talking too much and you've already understood my point, you can say that. I'm, I don't mind. And I understand that from the other perspective too, as someone with ADHD, one of the ADHD superpowers is to very quickly understand what someone's point is. So I love my friends who understand and are open to me saying, Oh, look, I've got your point. I hear what you're saying. You can, you don't need to over explain now. I've got it. Let's carry on the conversation or I have a response already. And if they can respect that, that's really lovely. So ADHD does change those dynamics. It's really important to have people that understand. If you've got someone who doesn't so much understand ADHD, you can try and explain to them, explain your experience, explain what it's like, and hopefully they have some frame of reference to relate it back to their own life. And this is why neurodiverse people tend to 
make friends more easily with other neurodiverse people because they have at least this frame of reference. They can relate it back to some of their experiences, even if they don't have the exact same experiences as you, because we are all different. And ADHD is a huge, broad set of experiences. It's not just one or two things that everybody has the exact same. And sometimes we can be the opposite as well. So when we come at it with compassion and empathy and understanding and seeing where each other's coming from and having good communication and um, emotional intelligence, then it can be really wonderful. We can have absolutely fantastic relationships and friendships. So let's talk now about romantic relationships. ADHD in romantic relationships can be difficult. I'm just going to briefly recommend um, this couple that I follow on Facebook. I'm not sure if their handle is the same across other social medias, but their Facebook page is ADHD in capitals underscore love underscore. And these guys are so cute and they've written a book as well. The woman is ADHD. The husband is not as far as I'm aware, I think that's what the dynamic is. And he is so empathetic and understanding and they make little videos that are super relatable about what it's like to be in an ADHD relationship. And it's just beautiful to see how he supports her and empathizes with her and is not judgmental. But they have all the typical, well, maybe not all, they have typical problems that come up with an ADHD relationship. So for example, messiness and not being able to do dishes and things that if you had a neurotypical relationship, these are things that put strain on a a relationship. So if one person's not doing the dishes, often typically, um, stereotypically, if the man's not doing the dishes, the woman will get really stressed and feels like she's taking too much of the load and it's such a burden. These kinds of little things that can really irk people in relationships, when it's an ADHD relationship, there can be a valid reason for it. So my ex-partner struggled so much to do the dishes and he could physically do it and he did it on the rare occasion, but he had a huge mental block against doing it to the point where he had that, um, that wall, the wall of awful, I think. Um, how to ADHD on YouTube calls it. And so I would understand that and I could conceptually understand it by accepting it to the full degree of never being frustrated with it uh, was another story because I would have loved to have more help with the dishes and to have things feel more equal. So that couple that I just recommended It's really lovely to see that they can fully accept that and accept that that's their dynamic. And you can do things like obviously therapy or um, if you have the level of self-awareness and knowledge about cognitive behavioral therapy, you can work through your own limiting beliefs about things and look at why these challenges and feelings are coming up and how to better deal with them. So for example, in that relationship for me, I was happy to do the dishes when dinner was cooked for me and he was great at cooking. 
Um, there was more issues with that though, because he needed me to make the mental decision about what I wanted to eat. And I had difficulty around that. So you can see how there's a lot of interplay with ADHD. That's kind of a bit of a stack of ADHD there. My ADHD meant that I couldn't choose the dinner, which meant that he couldn't cook the dinner, which meant that I was resentful about doing dishes, especially when I was eating a dinner that I didn't necessarily want to have and was just something that we chose at the last minute because neither of us were good at choosing dinners. These are just life struggles. And when you are in a relationship, they can get blamed on the other person. They could get blamed on the relationship. Another thing that happens when people share a home, whether as housemates or romantic relationships, is um, a psychological phenomenon that I forget the name of, but it's basically where humans tend to assume that the other person is putting more of a burden on them than you are, more of a burden on you than you are on them. And talking about the dishes, this is a classic example. People tend to think that the other person makes more of the mess and that it's a huge burden and it's really unfair, but they don't recognize that they are contributing to it as well. So when my ex-partner and I started to live separately, I realized that okay, yes, I still need to do a bunch of dishes. I still need to do a bunch of washing. It wasn't actually his fault. Maybe there were one or two things less, but there was no one else I could blame it on. It was my responsibility to do these things anyway. So if you're in a relationship, keep an eye out for those kinds of things and maybe find out, like do a little keep a log, do some sort of study on yourself, how much of this burden is actually from the other person if you are feeling that kind of struggle in the relationship. And what are some ways that you can accept how things are, especially if you are putting the burden on other people, not especially, just as well. If you feel like you are putting more burden because you have ADHD and you can't help contribute, what are some ways that you can help? What are some ways that you could show your appreciation? What are some ways that you could um, lessen the load on your partner? So if you um, hate doing the dishes, if you can't bring yourself to do dishes, could you get a dishwasher? Could you do something else that you enjoy? Some people hate doing dishes but love doing vacuuming because of the um, satisfaction of of the sound from the vacuum if you have enough mess on the floor. But I know people like that, that they really cannot do certain chores, but can easily or more easily at least do other ones. If laundry is an issue and you find it really difficult to help doing the washing, could you have a laundry basket in your room to at least keep clothes off the floor? All of these little issues that pop up, are things that if you're not in a relationship, you can make little shifts and hacks and work on having those five energy empress pillars nice and strong so you're functioning better. And then when you come together in a relationship, then there's less of an impact. But if you don't have all those five pillars in place, if you don't have strategies to help you function well, even individually, then those issues will be compounded in a relationship. But also you have someone to help you work through them. So there could be issues and problems and struggles and um, 
um, some emotional turmoil. But when you have the self-awareness, when you have the um, mindset where you're focused on problem solving and moving forward and what could we do and how can we change and you're asking the right questions and you're in it together, then you can move forward. You can make your life flow easier and be less stressful and function better and have more of a good time and less chaos and stress. Now, ADHD in new relationships is interesting because when you're in a new relationship, when you are feeling infatuation, that affects our brain chemicals as well as our hormones, which have a big impact on ADHD. In the ADHD brain, our dopamine and norepinephrine, which I think someone told me is actually just the American word for adrenaline. So if you're Australian, they're just talking about adrenaline. Interesting. They are misregulated in the ADHD brain. When you are infatuated, those chemicals are increased and hormones like testosterone also increase and hormones also affect ADHDers. Female ADHDers are especially impacted by hormones and we can experience things like PMDD, um, uh, which my brain has forgotten what it stands for, postmenstrual dysphoria disorder or premenstrual. I think it's premenstrual. Can't remember. Should be premenstrual because it's about two weeks before um, menstruation. But our hormones throughout the month can affect how our ADHD is functioning. So when you're infatuated with somebody and you're having this release of testosterone, that's going to affect your ADHD. You're getting the release of dopamine and norepinephrine, which are the chemicals that impact motivation. Dopamine is a brain chemical that is the reward chemical. It tells us that that action led to something which felt good and we should do it again. So ADHD people can have a tendency to get very infatuated and even obsessive because the brain, when we find something that releases dopamine, we can get hyper-focused, we can latch onto it. So in a new relationship, that can mean getting hyper-focused on the person. That can be super distracting. If you have hyperactive ADHD, that could be hyperactive thoughts, which could mean that you're thinking about this person all the time to the point where it's um, impacting your daily life and daily functioning. If you're inattentive, you may be zoning out and daydreaming about them. And I discovered some tips that can help with this because it's important to still function in our everyday life and we want to have healthy relationships, not obsessive relationships. So making rules for yourself if you're in this situation or you come into this situation about how often you think you would like to see this person, what's a good amount of times per week 
And how many times do you think would be too many? Even when you're infatuated, depending on um, how those brain chemicals are going, you can hopefully think a bit rationally and logically about what is practical and hopefully notice the responses within you. If more time is making you more obsessive, maybe dial it back a little bit. And same with messaging as well. And having contact because messaging that person, having any contact with that person, um, looking at photos and things like that will release extra dopamine. And the flip side of this is because you're having all those chemicals released associated to this person, when you're not with that person, when you're not messaging them, you can experience the opposite, which is almost withdrawal symptoms from being around them and from the dopamine. You can experience dopamine droop, which is when you have an increase in dopamine and then it drops back down and you, you and your brain will be motivated to get more of that dopamine. So if you know how often you feel is reasonable to be talking to that person or being with that person, then make it a rule for yourself and not like a hard disciplinary thing that you might want to rebel against, but like a habitual action that you settle into. You create a routine around it. Routines are really important for ADHDs as much as we might rebel against it. But I know for myself, like, I've spoken before about exercise routines. If I make it a goal to get up in the morning and move my body, then that is my goal and it becomes my habit and my behavior. If you give in to feelings of obsession and um, that drive from the dopamine, it will just increase your dopamine more and more and more and make it more difficult if you decide that it's not working, it's too much, you're becoming too hyper-focused on that person, it'll be harder to dial it back. So if you can temper it and space it out and give yourself a bit of a break, that will be beneficial. And the way to help with that is to make sure you're doing other things that bring you dopamine as well. You could have a list somewhere, and I recommend this probably for all ADHDers, have a list of things that give you dopamine. Now, I know some things that give me dopamine that my brain doesn't release dopamine in anticipation of. This is a difference in the ADHD brain is that for neurotypical people, when you think about something that is positive for you, you have dopamine released in anticipation of it, which increases your motivation to go and do it. For myself, I've used the rollerblading example a million times. I know that I love to rollerblade, but when I think about rollerblading right now, no dopamine is released. So I actually have to make a conscious decision to go and put my rollerblades on. Same with playing guitar, same with doing art, any of my hobbies, any of these things that I enjoy doing, I have to make a conscious decision to sit down and start and then have that dopamine released. And I talk about this in the episode where I talk about motivation versus momentum. This is about building that momentum and having the exposure, which then leads you to releasing the dopamine and remembering that you enjoy doing that thing. So I also experience this in general when I have stopped listening to podcasts for a little while or have stopped reading books. I, it takes me some time to build the momentum back up and get back into them. So I could be listening to a podcast, but my brain's not really tuned in and switched into it. And especially if you're infatuated with somebody, you might find that these other things 
aren't interesting you as much. And that's just the case if you're hyper-focused on anything, you're not going to want to do anything else. But if you can build that momentum and start to release dopamine in association with this other thing, you will build that up and then have a wider, more balanced, well-rounded experience of your daily life and of these things that bring you dopamine and keep your brain happy and healthy. I know for myself, if I'm not feeding my brain, it can get really obsessive or it can get really depressed. So it's important for me to always be learning. It's important for me to listen to podcasts and read books and have a fiction book and a nonfiction book on the go and to have a TV show for vegging out to and also having music to listen to at certain times is really important. And I've just discovered I'm at the end of my cycle with music because I find new songs and I love them and I listen to them and your brain releases dopamine when it anticipates the next like the sequence of music in a song it releases dopamine but once you are too familiar with the song this is how we get sick of songs then it doesn't release the dopamine anymore and then you get sick of the song So now with music, I have to start that cycle again and try and find some songs that I'll be interested in listening to. Because even songs that I used to love, I don't feel like listening to them because I don't get that dopamine in anticipation. When I'm driving in my car, I'll put the radio on and having surprise songs come on because I'm not in control of it. It is the intermittent reward factor which is a psychological term which means sometimes you get rewarded sometimes you don't that then releases the dopamine that's how gambling works and that's how when I listen to the radio if an old song that I like comes on I will love to listen to it and I'll sing to it but I would never go to YouTube or Spotify and just put that song on because it doesn't have the same dopamine release it feels too familiar and I'm not interested so Find the things that really work for you and interest you and bring that dopamine into your life and and use them regularly. So I have certain times of day that I will put on a podcast. I have certain times of day that I will sit down and read a nonfiction book. I'll usually do that during the day and then at the end of the day I'll read a fiction book or watch a TV show. And Because I've been out of the groove of that for myself last night, I found myself thinking I really need to find a new TV show because I actually want to have some veg time at the end of the day away from my kids. We've been going to sleep at the same time as each other and it's been kind of nice, but I feel that need for something else, for some variety. And same with just things that I do during the day and during my free time. If I spend too much time at home, it'll drive me a little bit nuts. Sometimes I feel the need to go to familiar places, but other times I feel like I'm in a little bit of a rut, just a really mild rut because our life varies so much being homeschoolers. But sometimes I feel this call to go somewhere really unfamiliar, somewhere really new. I need that dopamine that can only be released by having everything different around you, or at least going somewhere that I haven't been in a very long time or going somewhere to do an exciting activity or to some kind of tourist attraction that's really interesting or something that has an aspect of challenge. 
And these are all, I'm kind of describing here those five motivators for ADHD brains, which are interest, novelty, challenge, urgency, and passion. Those are the things that will release dopamine for you. So have a little think. Those things are important for your well-being in general and for your life. But obviously when you're functioning well, feeling good, your dopamine levels are decent, then you will have better quality relationships as well. You'll be happier. You'll enjoy your time with other people, whether it be your children, your friends, your romantic relationships. And those relationships will deepen and be better quality as well. So I feel like we went a lot of places in this episode, but I hope there were some things that are helpful and relevant to you. And I hope there were a few ahas and takeaways. And if you ever want to tag me on social media, that would be wonderful. I'm at marley.darling on TikTok and Instagram. And I will see you in the next episode. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast. If you're listening, I'd love to have you as a subscriber so you can stay updated about all the future episodes and they should come out every Sunday slash Monday, depending where in the world you are. Definitely by Monday. All right. Have a wonderful day, whatever you're doing. And I'm going to stop talking now. Bye.